Hey there, all you specters out there. Dr. Ange is back. He and I are going to cover another issue of Adventure Comics featuring the specter. Another fun one. It's definitely one we had some uh, interesting thoughts about and uh, would love to hear thoughts from anybody else who's read this story uh, and everything up to this point as well. Uh, Definitely uh, chime in, but he and I will be back right after a quick break to get started on the book. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And I am here with my co-host as we are going to continue coverage in the Adventure Comics series featuring the Spectre. So that means uh, Dr. Ange is here with me. How are you, man? I'm doing great. You know, we're uh, we're sort of in the back end of this series with Michael Fleischer and Jim Aparo, and I'm loving every page of it. Mm, you're not kidding. Yeah, we're, we're going to be covering issue 438. Uh, so there's only two more issues of Adventure Comics uh, proper, let's say, uh, of the Spectre. You know, there was a, a little bit of this and that uh, you know, down the line a little bit in some other uh, areas, which we'll we'll, we'll discuss them uh, at a later time. But for right now, yeah, we're diving into uh, Adventure Comics 438, which was cover dated uh, March, April 1975, uh, which just so happens to be when I was born. Huh. How about what a, what a what a birthday present? The gorilla is killing someone. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've got a, a really cool cover here. You know, Adventure Comics banner across the top, and then uh, the Museum of Fear. And then, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, the action on the cover here? You know, it there seems to be like sort of a theme of the specter just looming in the background, watching at something very dramatic happening, and it is dramatic. It is four gorillas. They look huge and very angry, and they are about to rip apart what looks to be an elderly man. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. quite striking. Yeah, and he looks like he's flashing some kind of gang sign with his left hand there. <laughs> and uh, he's got, uh, you know, very – he's got one of those hairdos like, uh, you know, he, he's got nothing on top, but then on the sides and the beard and the back is all this white hair flowing. Um and yeah, these gorillas, they look like they would scare the Planet of the Apes guys. Yeah, yeah. And and he looks like he's about 100 pounds soaking wet. He looks like a toothpick that this one is just about to snap <laughs> now. Yeah, and the big one up front that has a hold of him that looks like he's about to murder him. This dude, I mean, there's gorillas and then there's this guy. Like, he's not King Kong, but if you look at like a regular sized gorilla, like, He's got pecs, and he's got, you know, he's been hitting the gym, this gorilla. Yeah, yeah, you know, he does. He looks like he would be about 15 feet in real life because his his arm and his hand is about as big as the guy's torso. Like, that, like if, he, if he put his palm up, it would be as big as this guy's chest. So this is one big ape. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, thank goodness, you know, whoever was the uh, editor of this one, I can't remember who that was. Maybe it was Giordano, I think, wasn't it? No, I'm sorry, Joe Orlando. Joe uh, Orlando. Yeah, he uh, you know, you know, cut the artwork off right at a, a good point here for these gorillas, so we didn't get yeah. to, you know, <laughs> go X-rated here, gorilla yeah. porn here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually looking at the Grand Comics database, and it says that this was on sale uh, New Year's Eve, 1974, which is funny, 12:31:74. Wow, fantastic! Yeah, what a great New Year's Eve present. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, here you go, honey. An old man about to be dismembered. <laughs> mm, and I love every minute of it. And yeah, and of course, you know, we have the pencils and inks are by Jim Aparo and colors are Tatiana Wood here. And, uh, it, again, it, you can never say enough about Jim Aparo. 
Um, you know, the gorillas look, you know, menacing and scary. The one in the far left uh, side of the page, he almost looks a bit, you know, like uh, Yeti-ish to me. Yeah, yeah. The coloring is a little bit more grayish, and he kind of has a, the fur looks a little bit more full. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the one on the far right a little bit as well. Almost like, uh, I don't know if you remember if you're a fan of the show Johnny Quest, the original series. Oh, yeah. That episode with those Yetis. It, it kind of yeah. <laughs> looks like them. Yeah, I can see that. It's mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the Spectre looks awesome, just looming in the background. Just watching, casually watching uh, these uh, gorillas uh, rip a man apart. It's it's great. I love it. Um, and I did, uh, I want to say that I did uh, tweet this out a couple of weeks, I think, or a week or maybe two weeks before we're recording this. You know, we're on the cusp of Thanksgiving here. But uh, I, I did uh, tweet out this very first splash page, and I can't wait to get to it. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump in here. So the Spectre haunts the Museum of Fear. Script, of course, by Michael Fleischer. And this one actually has pencils by uh, Ernie Chan and inks by Jim Aparo, which, uh, uh, you know, uh, I like wholesale Aparo. But, hey, even uh, Chan and Aparo is is good stuff for me in the Bronze Age. But I cannot wait to uh, get your thoughts on the splash page here. But uh, we have uh, a little synopsis here. It says the ghostly guardian must halt the insane activities of the curator of the Museum of Natural History, who in his spare time, has specific occupational people kidnapped and brought to the museum where he treats the bodies for, uh, air quotes, special exhibits he has constructed in the basement of the facility. (laughs) So uh, uh, like a mad scientist type here. I love it. Um, So the splash page, uh, please, uh, you know, let me know your thoughts on this incredible splash page here. Yeah. So first I'll just say, you you know, I, when I first opened this, you know, and so I, Ernie Chu and Jim Aparo, I was like, oh, what, you know, let me see, because we just love Aparo. I think it works. I mean, it's it throughout this whole story, this splash page in particular, of course, um, where you can see it's Aparo, but it's not exactly Aparo. Um, so so I think they mesh well. And then this splash page is great because, you know, it's the the specter is sort of like looming over the left side of the page. He just dominates the splash page. And he is hovering over what appears to be a van where three people are, like, putting a dead body into the back of the van, right? <laughs> There's sort of like the, the museum in the background that kind of has, like, either a medieval castle feel to it or something like that. There's a, a big statue of a man on a horse. But it's very, very moody and very, very eerie. Of course, it's the middle of the night with a full moon. But – you know, I, we've said it a bunch of times here. This is a this was you know this was tolerated by the comics. It was approved by the Comics Code Authority. The dead guy being put into the back of a van, but small and in the center, so that your eye almost has to get there. And then when you finally get there, you're like, oh my god, it's a dead guy. So I just think the way the whole thing lays out really draws your eye to sort of soak it all in. Yeah, it's fantastic, and it's funny too because you know I, I think they had to have done this on purpose as well. You know, there's this gruesome scene with the specter looming over it, and then there's uh, one singular panel, uh, a horizontal panel at the bottom with a postman just, you know, delivering the mail and somebody being like, oh, hey, there, Mr. Postman. <laughs> like, yeah. a very sedate scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a very good um, sort of, like, juxtaposition where you go from this one horrific scene to, like, you know, Pleasantville, basically, right? <laughs> right? The placid mm-hmm. suburb of Sayville. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. First, uh, postman Herman Miller goes about his daily rounds. And I did, uh, I have heard of Sayville, New York, but I, 
I, I knew it was a real place, but I couldn't remember where it was. But I did look it up. It's out on Long Island. So, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's what's going on. Just a, a postman making his rounds here, doing his job, delivering the mail, and uh, some uh, little old lady. You know, uh, he he says, oh, "I'm sorry, that might be a little kid." It's hard to tell. The art to me is it's it's a little bit uh, tiny there. Uh, yeah. The mailman says, "Have a nice day, Mrs. Oh, it's Mrs. Penny." So yeah, maybe yeah. it is a middle-aged older woman. She says, "You too, Herman. I hope that rheumatism of yours clears up." Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did forget too. As usual, there is a really really awesome text piece to do like a bit of a lead in here on the top left hand corner, right? Yeah, yeah. It always is. You know. You could imagine it being said in a very deep voice at the beginning of an episode if they ever did uh, if they ever did these as cartoons. Um, it's very very um, hard boiled and, and and harsh. I uh, just love the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine like you said, somebody you know like either Hitchcock or uh, somebody reading this uh, you know to to get you hyped up. It says in the world of mortal men, he is Jim Corrigan, hard boiled police detective, but to the vermin of the underworld. He is the specter, awesome avenger of evil, an earthbound ghost who punishes evil with a fearsome vengeance from beyond the grave. Join us now, if you dare, as the specter haunts the Museum of Fear. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. and you know, you could read that a bunch of it, like you could imagine that they could say, like, you know, from beyond the grave. (laughs) It's silly, right? But but I just love it. It just, it, it really sets the tone for these books. Mm, yeah, so you know, we get to the next page here. We get uh, Herman. He's at like a, uh, I don't know if they call that a drop box or a transfer yeah. box or something like that. Uh, and we see behind him uh, two dudes in lab coats with uh, a van approaching him, and we think this isn't going to go well. And they they do abduct him, right? Yeah, yeah. The old school chloroform rag to the face, knock him <laughs> out, and throw him into the back of the van. Mm-hmm. I love it. And the one guy says. Uh, this one was easy, Professor. He didn't even – and then this professor who – you know, it's a small uh, rendition, but it sort of reminds us of the gentleman on the cover. He says, careful how you handle him, you fool. Do you want to damage this fine specimen? And uh, the, the van goes rocking down the road, and uh, someone says, you're not working for some cheap Third Avenue curio shop. You know, these specimens must be museum quality. And the guy says, yes, I know, Professor. I'm sorry. And then they pull into the Museum of Natural History. And yep. uh, the uh, the this uh, we see the guy from the cover again. He looks a little more sinister on the inside here, though, doesn't he? Yeah, even the even like you can tell he's mad because as they're pulling up, he says, "You know, little do they suspect that while they pay me to waste my genius on their stupid birds and gorillas, I am secretly preparing the most perfect museum exhibit, museum exhibit of all." Right? So you know he's capturing these people to put them in museum exhibits, and then you're right. The next thing we see him. He does have this, like, very wide-eyed, like, you see the whites all around the pupils, you know, as he's, like, you know, gesticulating with his hands wildly around the lab. He looks – I think Mad Scientist was probably the best description that you gave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is in a big contrast from the cover because the cover just, like, looks like a bunch of gorillas went crazy and grabbed some poor old man. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> mm, well, they get the, our buddy uh, Herman the Postman inside – and they put him on a table, and he says, uh, quickly, now strap him to the table so I can get right to work. And the other guy says, no need to rush, Professor. That chloroform will keep him out cold for at least another hour. And it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he wakes right up immediately and, and kind of makes a break for it. 
Yeah, and the, the, the two guys who, you know, they're wearing lab coats, but I, I don't know what they're uh, – uh, I mean, I think, you know, I could buy a lab coat and put it on. Uh, it doesn't really mean I know much of anything because they seem more goonish uh, than they do uh, anybody that should be wearing a lab coat doing any kind of work, right? Yeah, I doubt they have an advanced degree. <laughs> but but, uh, but tell me, what do you think – like on this page more than any, there just seems to be a lot more shadows and darkness, which I don't necessarily equate with Aparo. So do you think that this is like Chan's influence? Like you, you see like a lot of the faces, you don't see the eyes, right? Or you only see like a little bit of a, an outline of a person. Yeah, and you never know. It, I'm not sure what both of these uh, artists were doing at the time on top of this work so maybe it was just like a little oversight but it definitely they almost look like even herman the postman and the two goons look kind of zombie-ish where you know, the doctor is you know like bright and we see everything about him yeah yeah you yeah. see his eyes and everything where like you said the other ones are like in shadow and of course herman wakes up and he's like what is going on here and he goes hey get away from me what are you guys trying to do anyway and he picks up what looks to me like to be a scalpel maybe and says, I'm getting out of here, and you muggers better not try to stop me either. And the professor yells, stop him, you fools. He mustn't get away. And, uh, again, the next page, more dark, you know, two pounds at the top, very dark. And he's just kind of running around thinking, hey, how can I get out of this place? And he kind of runs himself into a corner with no way out. And I, I wanted to ask you your opinion on this, too, because I guess maybe I was just reading a little too fast. Because, you know, the, the, the half page or three-quarter page splash that's at the bottom here I looked at it real quick and thought, like, why is he saying good Lord? Like he's, uh, you know, he's like terrified of what he's seeing here. And I'm looking at it like, what's so terrifying? But I didn't, it didn't hit me that he already that quickly understands what's going on here, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, there's one of those relay boxes with the door open and a postman's bag and a dog barking in what appears to be a museum exhibit, the only thing missing is a mailman, right? And so mm -hmm. he knows I'm going to be in there because right next to it looks like either a policeman or a crossing guard or something like that um, with some pedestrians crossing the street, humans. So so I think he, he, he gets it, right? You know, I'm mm -hmm. in some weird creepy lab. I'm going to become part of this exhibit. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the uh, the goons catch up with him here. And, you know, they're going to, like, try to jump him. But then they see he has this, you know, scalpel or knife or whatever. I guess they says one of the professor's knives. And rather than trying to subdue him uh, uh, and keep him alive, the guy just pulls out a gun and kills him. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's always interesting to me. So, first of all, um, we've already heard that they've taken a freight elevator to go deep into a sub-basement, right? That's why nobody has ever seen this before, because this isn't on, like, the museum proper, where this guy is setting up his special exhibit. So why does he put a silencer on his gun, right? It's clearly in the middle of the night. The museum is most likely closed. They're in a sub-sub-basement. But he puts a silencer on his gun and just perforates him. And again, I'll say, you know, I was probably seven or eight when I read this, given that I probably... <laughs> got this from a yard sale when I was a little bit old, you know, when it was a few years past when it cut. This is like, you see the bullets go through this man, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, it is not subtle. And yet, there it is. I just keep going back to it. How Fleischer must have, like, had photos of somebody on the Comics Code Authority to have this stuff just, like, rubber stamped through. Yeah, I like you said, it's pretty violent. And I also thought, too, like, it, I, I understand 
they, you know, didn't want to have to deal with him because he had this knife. But I also think there's going to be a huge mess to clean up now, too. Uh, you know, and I don't know, maybe for the whole silencer thing, maybe is there like a night watchman upstairs or something? No, I don't know. Yeah, you don't yeah. see that, per se. It would have been better to probably show that even in a quick little, you know, background or something earlier. But, yeah, so they, like I said, they <laughs> shoot this guy right there in cold blood. And the professor says, what are you doing? What was that noise? And he goes, my word, you've ruined him. Look at those disgraceful holes. He was a nearly perfect specimen. And you, and the one guy holding the gun says, we know how important he was to you, professor, but we had no choice. We're sorry. And uh, then we switch to the following morning. And, of course, Detective Jim Corrigan is uh, on the scene here. Yep. Uh, and our postman friend is dead in the in the water uh, off of a pier. Um, so mm-hmm. still yeah, clutching he, that knife. I was just going to say, they weren't smart enough to take the knife out of his hand because you figure that could be a clue. It could have fingerprints on it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what are these idiots doing? But uh, there's a, a like a beat cop there. And he says he's already stiffed, Lieutenant probably dead since yesterday. And uh, then he uh, grabs the knife here, Corrigan, and says uh, some kind of knife. And he goes, uh, the lab boys ought to be able to figure out what it is. Meanwhile, better call a wagon for our dead friend. <laughs> yeah. says, yes, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Th- this panel, that Jim Corrigan face, probably is the most Ernie Chan face to me, right? That that doesn't look exactly like a classic Aparo face. So it was interesting for me when I was reading this, trying to, to try to sort of see like when, which artist was overstanding the other. I love both. I mean, Ernie Chan did stuff like Claw the Unconquered, right? He was a great artist. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of like peanut butter and jelly, I guess. Yeah, that face looks mostly uh, Chan to me. And then uh, on the next page, when we see Corrigan calling on his radio, that looks like, you know, uh, Chan to the max to me. Yeah, yeah. And again, no eyes, too. No eyes, always in shadow. So, and well, in the meantime, though, before we get to that panel, uh, we see a you know uh, just some regular Joe businessman walking out of an office, and uh, the crew is watching him again. And it looks like it's broad daylight on the street, and they jump him. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's broad daylight. And, you know, he's a, he looks like slightly pudgy, three-piece suit, briefcase, very classic 1970s businessman. And it's the same M.O., chloroform to the face, thrown in the back of the van. Mm-hmm. And the professor that says, be careful. I don't want him ruined like the last one. <laughs> and then uh, that evening, Corrigan's blasting down the road in his car, which I love that panel. And it says, uh, I ought to call the lab to see if they've managed to come up with A. And then over the radio, calling all units, calling all units. We have a report on a breaking and entering at Schwartz Taxidermy Supply Company, 62 Prince Street. Units in area proceed to scene over, and he thinks to himself, Corrigan, Schwartz Taxidermy Supply Company. Why in blazes would anyone rob a – wait, wait a minute. Of course, that knife the dead mailman was holding, it was a taxidermist knife. Uh, And then he uh, calls in to the dispatcher here, and uh, what does he call himself? Yeah, I love this. I thought this was great. This is Corrigan in Phantom Unit number 64. <laughs> so a little nod to the fact that he's a ghost, right? The grim phantom of vengeance. So, <laughs> Yeah, that made me laugh. I was just like, oh, that's such a fun thing to add. And again, uh, if I tried to write something, I would just be like, this is Corrigan. Like that, That's the kind of thing that just uh, uh, regular Joes don't think of. Good writers yeah. do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a nice little flair to his character. 
I did think, though, not necessarily maybe calling himself that, but this next line, he says, call everyone off that burglary at 162 Prince. I want to handle that one alone. It connects up with an ongoing murder investigation over and out. And I thought, well, you know, there seems to be a lot of strange things that happen with every investigation Corrigan's involved with. <laughs> and and now he's saying call everyone else off. He wants no backup at all. Like, it's just I, I feel like. You know, you know, you know, Clark Kent at least throws glasses on his face to kind of throw people off the scent and act like a goof. Corrigan doesn't do that at all. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. In like every one of the stories where he, you know, it's like, oh, that murder you were investigating, the man got turned to glass, right? So you know, so <laughs> you think that they would be like, we should, we should have a partner with him to watch to make sure nothing's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I just think that's it's it's wild. I'm thinking, uh, I think by now your boss might think. Oh yeah, remember that guy that had his face melted? Like you know, it's it might you might you might you might want to like kind of send some backup anyway. But he goes, there's two of them. They're loading crates of taxidermy supplies into the van, and it, it sort of does look like our boys here. And uh, I did see this too. I think they. I feel like they were really kind of. I don't know if they were told they only had ten pages to work with, or what, but. I just felt like at this point and moving forward to the end, things were very rushed. And it doesn't mean uh, the artwork wasn't fantastic and Fleischer's writing wasn't still great, but it just felt very rushed to me, like we could have used another couple of pages. You know, what do you think? No, I, I so agree with you because I think in the other stories that we've, that we've reviewed, there's been a very slow sort of buildup until you get to the, the climactic ending. Even the last one that we talked about, right, where um, it was like the hypno lights and the human bombs, and, and then there's mm-hmm. like three death traps at the end that the Spectre has to get through, was like, uh, that felt like a full meal, and this did feel, this felt very rushed. Um, I, uh, there's just no other way to say it. Like, I agree. If this was a 16-page story, it probably would have flowed in, in a much better way. And it's still wonderful as a 10-page story because these stories are so great. But I can't help but compare this one to the other ones uh, in this run. Uh, and this one just seems too fast. Yeah. And, I mean, we, like, if I'm not mistaken, usually we see the transformation from Corrigan to the Spectre too. And of course, apparel usually does a magnificent job with that artwork, but we don't get that here. We just see uh, on page eight, the, the, the blonde haired guy with the glasses, you know, in one of the lab coats say, or he's, I'm sorry, he's thinking to himself and talk about absent minded professors. It's just like a prof who run out of supplies right in the middle of that stuffing that he goes, Hey, I thought I heard something. And there's something on top of the van. And you hear a voice say, Perhaps it is the shrieking of your victims that you heard. And then <laughs> great panel here with the specter above him, right? Yeah, he, he's like, what are you? And he goes, men call me the specter. But again, here's this normal-sized man. He's probably about six feet based upon the fact that he's like the top of his head is at the top of the van door. Um, but then looming over him larger than life, got to be 20 feet tall, is the specter with like one hand reaching out, the billowing cape all around him. And then this next panel, he pulls, he kind of pulls like a, a, a 90s Ghost Rider penance there on him here, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was trying to, you know, we'll see on the, on the next page, like, it's hard for me to know exactly what happens here because all you see are his eyes, skulls for pupils, which we've seen before. And it's like, your eyes, there's something funny about your eyes. When I look inside them, I see, ah! and he just screams. And it says the, you know, 
The villain glimpses death in the specter's eyes and crumples to the ground with an agonized gargle. So I assume he's dead, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's not exactly spelled out. And and this is rather tame for this book, where like people have been like turned to wood and run through a, <laughs> like a, a wood box. So, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, he looked at me and I died. It's like rather pedestrian, right? You know, nobody mm-hmm. melting like wax. Nobody so. Um, so uh, and then, of course, the specter then transforms to become, you know, this guy's doppelganger. So now he looks like like this blonde guy with the glasses. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that. I don't think that's ever happened before in any of these adventure comics issues where he, you know, was like shape changing into somebody else was. It's just always been him and then Corrigan. Right. That's right. That's right. And, it, and it's just interesting that like why he felt he needed to like slip into this guy's to like you know, infiltrate is beyond me. He's the specter. You know, he shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, he can just make himself be, like, invisible and just go into the place through the walls. But in any event, we see the other guy here with the professor, and he says, um, hey, what was that scream I heard? And then you hear the other guy who, again, it, this is now the specter, and it says, it was me. I, I just smacked my knee into a crate, that's all. <laughs> and then... Uh, we see them close the van doors, and they jump in the van, and they go down to the museum. And the other guy says, here we are. I'll pull up to the side entrance so we can unload. And then moments later, let's move it. The professor was hoping, hopping mad when he had to stop working on that businessman just as he was ready to start stuffing the head. Yeah. <laughs> My God. I know. I know. I mean, that's what makes these so great, right? These are like superhero, but they're horror stories. Before we go on, though, let me ask you something. Where do you think the body of the guy that he killed with the death stare is, right? Because this other guy shows up. It's not like there's a body on the ground. Do you think that he, like, evaporated, or do you think he was just out of sight? That's a good question. Knowing the specter, I feel like he probably, you know, incinerated the guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the only thing that I was trying to, like, figure out was that, again, he just says he, like, crumples in an agonized gurgle. Um, but we never see his body again. So I was like, oh, it would have been it would have been cool if they said something like, you know, blasted to dust or something to sort of explain. But that didn't mean to derail us. We're back at the museum. <laughs> so what about this panel here, too, with the crazy professor guy? And he's got that uh, portly businessman on a, you know, a table here with his little uh, set of uh a taxidermy stuff, I guess it is. Uh, and it looks like almost like that. He just like he's going to stuff the guy's head and it doesn't look like he cut the guy's head open. So how is he stuffing his head through his ear or his nose? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't I don't want to hazard a guess because the only other way that I could do is if he like shucked it out from the neck. But then he would have to do a lot of work on the skull to get his hand all the way up. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty gross. That's disgusting. (laughs) Well, he has his back to the doorway, and then at the doorway you hear, we're back, Professor, and we got all those supplies you needed. And he says, good, good. At last I'll be able to continue my work. And then all of a sudden, you you know, we see a speak here, you know, a speech bubble, and you can tell it's from the specter. And he goes, no, vile Professor. As of this night, your filthy work has ended. And he turns around and goes, huh? And then, you know, we only get one page here to wrap this story up with four panels. Again, they're great panels. Uh, All the writing is fine and everything like that. But it's just it's a great page. But I just thought, oh, this is it. He's going to kill these two guys and wrap up this whole thing. 
in one page. I just felt a little uh, little cheated here. Yeah, you, you know, you're so right. Like that first panel is classic of this series, right? It's like the the angle is looking down, so we're like it's a ceiling point of view. The two people, the the mad scientist and his goon, are very small, and looming over them in this like gaseous vapor is the specter. I mean, that's a great panel, but then you're right in like three more panels we're at the end of the story and of course it has to match what the cover was so we see that up in the real museum he just animates the gorillas in the exhibit yeah the the caption box reads the fiends flee for their lives down the labyrinth corridors of the deserted museum only to freeze in terror as two stuffed gorillas spring miraculously to life, which, you know, then we see there's actually at least three gorillas there, but uh, yeah. no, no worries. Uh, and the goon, Professor, look, and you hear the gorillas go, <laughs> <laughs> Professor says, there there must be a logical explanation for it. There has to be. And it's like, uh, what would be a logical explanation for stuffed gorillas coming to life, dude? Yeah. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> He's just dumbfounded. Uh, mm. The specter then is like in that, still in that like gaseous kind of form and you just kind of see his face peeking out of this, you know, uh, different multicolored gas. And he says, no death could be as hideous as the crimes they committed. And here's, you know, the, the scene we get, you know, sort of on the cover where there's a big gorilla with the, the professor. And he looks like he's going to crush him. And then there's two others behind him choking or beating the crap, like just bludgeoning the, the other guy, the goon, right? Yeah. You know, we get a really good central figure of a gorilla. It looks like he's about to do the razor's edge by razor Ramon on the old guy, right? He is about to, like, basically throw him onto his head and neck. Uh, and you're right. And then behind that main one are two other gorillas. And you can just tell by their positioning, they're bludgeoning this other guy with their fists. They're, like, beating this guy to a pulp. And then the last panel, they're all, like, dancing around them in a circle. And you just see, like, the crumpled and, like, misshapen bodies of those two guys yeah it's and there's a fourth gorilla then too by the way um, yeah and yeah the bodies are laying there the goon is face down um and the professor is kind of like you know strewn over the top of him and it almost looks to me like the the professor's head is busted open there's no red for blood there but in the panel there it almost looks like maybe there's something seeping out of his head so maybe maybe they give him the razor's edge yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. He obviously has a very terrified look on his face. And then the goon that's lying below him, I'm like trying to line up his legs are one way, his torso looks like they're at like a 60 degree angle from the, <laughs> from the leg. So I'm like, something bad has happened to his lower back that we just can't see because the other guy's body is over it. But your, your body shouldn't bend that way. The Boston <laughs> crab or something, maybe yeah. they put it. <laughs> The camel clutch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there's the specter to the right, you know, just uh, standing there. And he continues his thoughts from about the hideous crimes they committed. Not even a death wrought by the specter. And it looks really cool. Again, love it. I, I don't want to sound like I didn't like this story. I did. I do. I love it. It's just I just thought, man, like I just uh, I don't know. Usually we were getting at least 12 pages, I feel like, if not a little bit more. And you'd get, you know, a little bit of. The Spectre or Corrigan, you know, he'd be, you know, doing something with the cops and talking about the investigation a little bit. It's it just, yeah, it was really like it seemed at least two or three pages short to me. And I thought to myself, you know, again, was this uh, did, did Fleischer write a, a 15 page story? And they were like, no, 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 you got to cut it down, Mike. Or what, like what happened here? 
Yeah, yeah, it really does feel rushed. And when you when you think about it, it's you know ten pages. It's like two pages actually have the specter in it. Most of it is just the buildup of like what this museum exhibit is about. So um, I, I think it's more a testament to how great the other stories were than a belittling of this story as being bad. Because you're right, it's a it's a quite a satisfying story. I mean, we I've had a great time reading it and reviewing it with you. It's just it's just not as utterly fantastic as the other ones that we've read yeah just it just felt like you were kind of scraping the surface on this one instead of going really deep like you usually do with these you know or as deep as you can for a 12 to 15 page comic it just i don't know i felt very very rushed these last like three pages like almost like you know like i said he was told oh that's just too much dude you got to cut some stuff out like i just imagine there's like two or three pages worth of script laying around somewhere that he he didn't get to use which is a shame because i love uh I love Fleischer's writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do wonder if, like, I think that last issue they made, like, a big deal about how they were reprinting or, or putting to use uh, old Seven Soldiers of Victory story. And I wonder if they were like, those. that story is eight pages. So as a result of that not being, like, a true smaller backup, you have to shorten yours. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we're not going to cover it, you know, but there was, yeah, a really cool Seven Soldiers of Victory story. Um, it was a, if apparently an unpublished script from the 40s yeah. that, uh, that, you know, they had uh, some people do here. And it's a lot of fun and everything like that. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's a, a conversation possibly for another day. But <laughs> yeah. so I did like here, you know, there were some really, really great ads in this comic. I mean, just even starting in the beginning, you get the classic right inside the front cover, the Daisy BB gun there. And it's got like a Christmas wrapping around it and everything <laughs> like Hey, buy a, the BB gun for Christmas. It's like, man, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I love it is in the bottom corner of that one, it's like, which which Daisy rifle is right for your age? And they're like, the top one is for ages eight to ten, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's got it's got like a scope. It looks like a sniper rifle, but uh, I guess you know when you grew up back then, like you know, as you got older, you got a more powerful rifle. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And then there's a just after that page where uh, I guess it's after page four, there's a two page ad, or I'm sorry, a, a two part ad here where the top is a uh, get a big income career in accounting, which accountants do make really good money. Um, But uh, that's hilarious to me how it's just like it shows like almost like a, a little cartoon then with like three little spot uh, illustrations, which are funny. And then uh, at the bottom, make money fast. Uh, you can do uh, start making money at once in your spare time selling beautiful lifetime metal social security plates. <laughs> it's like, what? I don't think I've ever seen those. Yeah, yeah. Like, and they show it. It's like your social security card, but it must be made out of thin metal that you would like hammer the, the numbers into in some guy's wallet. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's wild. And then we get a full page uh, on the other side, too, where it's like, you know, there's a little kid with the authentic Superman costume, only seven bucks, by the way, too, which is fantastic. Uh, the seven foot tall, you know, Frankenstein monster and all sorts of other crazy little things. There, a werewolf mask, a rubber yeah. mask, <laughs> two bucks. You, the one that I love there is the fake cast. Like you can put a cast on your arm to make it look like you've got a broken arm. <laughs> <laughs> Phony cast. Yeah, you got to love it. It's like, what? Or uh, the secret spy scope. And the creep is looking at a chick in a bikini on the yeah. beach. It's like, okay, holy creeper. 
Oh, man. And then after the Spectre uh, on page uh, eight there killed that very first goon, uh, I love how, uh, like, when I was a kid, I remember advertisements on TV for these, but it, they called it a cubic zirconia, a fake diamond, where yes. I guess uh, before my time, uh, there was a Zolatron simulated yeah. diamond ring, uh, 10 bucks for a full carrot. <laughs> but it's set in it's set in genuine silver. So still, genuine silver for 10 bucks, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I love that it's like, you know, you get a you can have it for thirty days without risk or obligation. You can always return it. So if like if somebody's like, "Why are you so cheap?" I I'm thinking you can get your money back. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking. Did you try to give this to a woman and she's like, "Wait a minute, this is fake," and that's when you returned it. Or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a really cool ad. I've seen this ad before and I love it, where it's got a little kid reading comics and Julia Schwartz is actually there, and you have Batman and Robin, and it's basically you know a little order form to uh, order comics. And it's like, oh, man, like they, they, they should have been a little smarter, like by the, the 70s here. Make there be like a, a tear out just in the comic in like the, the middle or something like that. Don't make it part of like the actual comic that you have to cut it out, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, one time one yeah. time in high school, I loaned a, uh, um, a Robotech comic to a friend who had just discovered the show. And he mm-hmm. cut the coupons out in the back. I was like, dude, you just ruined my comic. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the end of that friendship. <laughs> but, yeah, that's awesome. I, I really love that. It's just it's a goofy ad, but I love it. And I did want to say, too, in the letters pages, I did see, um, you know, I'm not sure. Did you and I end up talking about this guy, how there was that Clark Kent type character that worked yes. for like a new? Yeah, the, yes. the, one of the people mentions that in the, the Letters pages here. Nathan Kiever from Katona, New York, he about says about how, oh, he likes that character. and It's a really good character. And, you know, it uh, you know, helps round out the stories. And uh, I, I will admit I, I that that character, again, and a couple more pages would have you know made this uh, story even better. Yeah. You know, he was uh, he was onto something. Right. He, he believed that there was something supernatural happening. And that would have been a good one. You know, as as we said earlier, right? Have somebody tail Corrigan to sort of try to figure these things out. Um, uh, he would have been a good addition. Yeah, and then the next page, the other side of that page there too. Uh, oh, famous first editions, the Treasury editions, and stuff here for DC. Oh man, I would love to have every one of these. I only have one of these actually, the Ghosts, uh, you no. know, horror one there. That's it. Do you have any of these? None of the ones that are, I did at one point have the first edition action comics that must have got lost during some move when I left my parents' house. But um, I had, that's the only one I had of these. Oh, you know what? I lie. I might have that Christmas with the superheroes at the bottom. I might have that one as well, but a buck fifty for each of these? Oh, man. Yeah. I wish there was some way for me to legally hold DC to this that they'd have to send me these for a dollar fifty. <laughs> Cut the coupon out and mail it. See what happens. <laughs> Yeah, and then we get a, a, a bodybuilder ad, and then uh, these are in the Seven Soldiers uh, during that storyline. And there's another uh, one. This is one I have never seen before. Uh, it's called Passaic Comic Catalog. I've never seen this one. Oh yeah, I've never uh, I've never seen that one either. It's like it looks like a comic, but on the bottom there's feet sticking out, and then two arms, almost like Superman, muscular, blue, and red boots. And, uh, you know, it's a, a buck twenty five for this uh, uh, comic catalog. And uh, it's from New Jersey, too, which is kind of weird. You would think I would have heard of that, but uh, cause that's not very far from me. But, yeah, it's kind of wild. I was like, wow, I've never, ever seen that ad before. And that's that's saying something. I've seen a lot of ads. <laughs> yeah. Towards the back, too, again, there's another uh, 
famous first edition and a Shazam. Uh, it looks like they're treasuries too for a buck fifty. It's one of those ads where you have to turn the comic the other way to be able to see it. It's, it's kind of wild. A Wonder Woman famous first edition there. Yeah. Really cool ad. And then, of course, uh, in the very back, the 100-piece Toy Soldier ad. I love that ad, too. That's one you'll see all the time in the comics from the 60s and 70s. Um, and then here's another one I had never seen either. Uh, a little uh, Habitat for a Hamster. I've never yeah. seen this before. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen the ad. My, I did have a friend growing up who had these yellow plastic tubes and had two gerbils, and they kind of like scrambled all over the place. He made like you know this interesting living thing, man. But I've never seen this ad before, um, which is wild. Yeah, it's called Habit Trail, and it's from a company I guess called Living World. It says at the bottom, but yeah, that's wild. That's a, again another ad I have never ever seen before, but. All right, well, that's uh, going to wrap us up here. So, you know, like we said, great story here with the Spectre. A little short, maybe, and then uh, a cool backup as well. So, you know, definitely uh, 438 is one you need to get. It is actually on the app, too. For some insane reason, they don't have this entire run on the app. They only have five or six out of the ten issues. I'm not sure yeah. why that is, but, you know, it is on the app, too. But, uh, again, awesome issue, right? Yeah, I'll say two more things that I just wanted to add. One is it also on the letter page is a guy that says um, – he finds the Spectre's ruth- ruthlessness refreshing. Barry Allen, after all, a human. Isn't it silly that he doesn't run around the Mirror Master until he gets turned into whipped cream? So that guy is a little bit <laughs> um, and I like three, that. Yeah, and then um, one of the um, Seven Soldiers of Victory story is a chapter that's The Shining Knight that has very, very, very early Howard Chaikin art. So if you're a Howard Chaikin fan and you want to see like him at his very beginning, that's also in the back of this issue. So I would agree. This is a great issue overall. And I really do like this Spectre story. It's just a little bit too fast. Yep. Totally, totally agree with you on all points there. Uh, but, you know, two thumbs up uh, for the comic. And like I said, it's on the uh, app. So if you have the app, you can read it there. But and last time I looked, a lot of these adventure comics still weren't super pricey, even though uh, most comics are very pricey right now, back issues and new issues. But, you know, last time I had looked, you, you could still get those probably finding a better deal in the secondary market on that entire 10 issue run cheaper than it is to buy one of the collected editions because they are all out of print, some of them for a very long time. So those prices are, you know, have skyrocketed. So you'd be paying two or three times uh, per issue price than if you get a collection compared to getting the single issues on, you know, eBay or secondary market. So they're, they're definitely out there to be had. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you that usually like uh, the one that I own is in pretty good condition, but you can find them at, at a lot of conventions in like relatively scragged, but not destroyed at, at a mm-hmm. decent price. I mean, they're out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can find them low grade. And I did think too, the other way you could find them is they did those reprints in the mid 80s where they came out with four issues and they were oversized and they covered this entire 10 issue run plus some uh, unused scripts that uh, Fleischer had written after it got canceled. And then they had Aparo draw them, which, you know, you and I will definitely dive into those as well. Those are in issue four of that Wrath of the Spectre series. And of course, that was all collected in a trade called Wrath of the Spectre as well. That's crazy prices because it's out of print. Um, there was a showcase as well, and then an omnibus, which is out of print now as well. So like I said, that's people want like 200 bucks for the omnibus. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think I'll just uh, keep the singles. I have. Yeah. 
those, those um, ones that reprint everything, the, that four-issue miniseries, is on, like, the really good Baxter paper at the time. Mm-hmm. And was at a time when I think DC realized, like, oh, we should be reprinting stuff in, in better condition. So there's, like, an Iron Wolf collection like that. There's the Walt Simonson Manhunter like that. And a lot of times you can find those in the dollar box, but not the, not the Spectre ones. Uh, if you find those, you found gold. Yeah, I looked them up on eBay just because I wanted to get that fourth issue with the, you know, older scripts, newer artwork by Aparo. Um, So I found just issue number four for a buyer from like, uh, I don't know, eBay for maybe like five bucks or something like that. So I thought that was a pretty good deal. So I I snapped that up really quick. I thought maybe this guy doesn't know what he has. But uh, the rest of them, like you said, you could spend. I mean, you'll get the full 10-issue run plus this extra material. I thought maybe for around, like, 30 bucks with shipping, which, again, isn't, isn't cheap, isn't terrible compared to the trades and the omnibus, but still, that's to me, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but classic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, the fact that people, you know, this, these books are 50 years old now, and people still talk about the Fleischer Aparo Spectre run. It just shows you how timeless they are. Yeah, it's definitely something you need to read if you're a fan of the Spectre horror comics or you're just, you know, demented like we are, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, all right. Well, that, uh, that's going to wrap us up here. And uh, so if anybody uh, wants to find your uh, exploits, where can they look, my friend? Well, you know, I'm on uh, X, and uh, which was Twitter, and Blue Sky at Dr. Ange 70 And I have a Supergirl site called Comic Box Commentary, where I do a lot of comic reviews uh, and, in general, discussion about the Super Family, focusing on Supergirl mostly. Yeah, and there's uh, new comics on there. There's uh, classic comics on there. You cover, you know, pretty much the whole gamut of the Super Family uh, characters, right? Yeah, I do my best. What I try to do, I definitely um, review all of the current comics or the new comics that come out, and then if they remind me or are an homage of an older story, I'll definitely go back and take a look at those as well. Yeah, and I know uh, you and I, uh, behind the scenes here, talked about some uh, zany, crazy Supergirl stories that maybe uh, I might uh, <laughs> coerce you into uh, talking with me about that are just uh, gonzo from the 70s. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. He might not be Bob Haney, but Mike Sikowski, he definitely was doing something uh, that was mind-altering. <laughs> you know what was happening? Yeah, probably what happened is they were all in the office and Haney's smoke was just going, it was permeating <laughs> the whole office. So everybody was, <laughs> oh, man, fantastic. So, all right. Well, you know, thank you, my friend. Uh, I appreciate you covering this with me. And like I said, that's the, the plan is we'll knock out 39 and 40, 439, 440. And then uh, those uh, stories uh, in that issue four that came out as well. And then there was a couple of uh, backups in uh, the title Ghosts as well. Uh, that we're going to touch on. They were, they were short backups, though, so we could probably cover all three of those backups in uh, one recording. So that's probably what we're going to be doing looking forward to uh, 39 and 40 for sure here with, you know, more Fleischer and apparel, though. But uh, once again, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I love covering these, and this one was a blast. Fantastic. So, all right, well, we're going to get out of here, uh, and then I'll be back in a minute after a quick promo. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the vigilante. 
first published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature. During those years, the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Sanders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a mass crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong. Many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Ange for being on the show. Yeah, the plan is, you know, we're going to cover the last couple of issues of this uh, Adventure Comics run and then maybe a few more appearances of the Spectre and then, you know, uh, we'll... we'll conjure up something else to talk about down the road Angie and I have a good time uh, podcasting together so you're definitely going to hear his voice again down the road and definitely check out his blog you know Supergirl super family related he's been blogging for a long time he's you know one of the one of the OGs of the uh, blogging community so definitely check out his stuff uh, comicboxcommentary.blogspot.com and you know there'll be a link in the show notes and uh, like I said definitely give it a shot alright thanks for listening everybody mm-hmm.